Well, here we are again. I know. Um, it doesn't seem like a week oh, since we last spoke. It doesn't. What have you been doing with yourself since then? It's it's hard to describe, really. <laughs> hard hard to say. Um, what what's been happening in the in the world? Well, I mean, there was that extraordinary moment in the FA Cup final, um, which was between Man City and Man United, as you know, because you would have seen it. And then the clouds parted at that dramatic moment. You must remember. <laughs> I do now. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, Ooh, it was. Who just seen that coming? <laughs> Nobody. No, that angel chorus. And, you know, was, that was amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Let's get on with it. Gosh, yeah, let's just get on to it. <laughs> everybody to episode 244 of the mid-faith crisis a podcast following fast on episode 243 as you can tell we're recording this in advance because future joe is currently uh, up north mm-hmm. um fighting off the midges or doing whatever it is you're going to do up there drinking the whiskey i am near holy island lindisfarne i hope very good no yeah oh, there's quite a few interesting churches to see around there i'll send you a list oh good. um no, you'll love them. Uh, uh, yeah, and so what we're going to do this week is we're going to uh, pick up a little bit of feedback and we're going to do our responses to the to the interview with uh, Chris Chris Scott. We're going to talk about that mm. that interview and that should prove quite um, mm. quite diverting, I'd have thought. Uh, so anyway, how are you? Well, shall I tell you how I was two weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw, I saw the film, the moving film Fast X, because our children came to stay and they wanted to see it. So Fast X is the tenth film in the Fast and Furious uh, franchise, and uh, well, what a what a what a life changing film that was, moving in every way. And I'm going to say no more <laughs> about it. Really? Do you know, I've never seen a single film in the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, well, you haven't missed an awful lot. You only need to see one of them, I would say, to pretty much get the gist of them all. <laughs> uh, we did go to Leonardsley. I've had the first swim of the year in the sea. Uh, that's great. Lovely time seeing my children. And the theme about showing up, I think, is is going a lot better. And hopefully, right now on holiday easier than ever (laughs) so that would be good i came across this quote which reminded me of the theme and it's a bit long can i do it is that right yeah go on okay so this is by tish nahan uh very much the stock aiken and waterman of the uh (laughs) eastern spirituality (laughs) the three of them the mindfulness (laughs) uh, tradition yes (laughs) and they sorry he said this He said, around us, life bursts forth with miracles, a glass of water, a ray of sunshine, a leaf, a caterpillar, a flower, laughter, raindrops. If you live in awareness, it is easy to see miracles everywhere. Each human being is a multiplicity of miracles, eyes that see thousands of colours, shapes and forms, ears that hear a bee flying or a thunderclap, a brain that ponders a speck of dust and as easily as the entire cosmos, a heart that beats in rhythm with the heartbeat of all beings. 
When we are tired and feel discouraged by life's daily struggles, we may not notice these miracles, but they are always there. The sights and sounds of the world are not your enemies. Your enemy is forgetfulness. Mm, that's very nice. There was a lot in that, but I just thought that was, you know, there's wisdom there. It is hard to access the miracles when you are tired. That's I think that line um, spoke to me. Mm. When you're tired and feel discouraged by life's daily struggles, it's easy to miss all the miracles going on. Ain't that the truth? Um, but every now and then we can, you know, just practice going back to seeing them again. And yeah, I'm seeing them. Great. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So that's me. How are you? What have you been up to? Well, I, I, it's difficult to say, really. I don't think I've been up to much. I mean, we had a very, very quiet couple of uh, weeks, really, because Claire was ill. Yes, of and, course. Uh, she all right now? Yeah, she's she's got a long list of jobs for me, so I think she's back to normal. Um, <laughs> yeah, she seems a lot better. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been, I, to be honest, I have been doing that. I've been sitting in the sun, been trying oh. to take it easy. Good. Still, you know, doing bits and pieces. And by the time this podcast goes out, in fact, mm-hmm. I would have played a cricket game. Will you? Somehow I've got roped in to play in the village cricket match. Oh, great. I, I literally have not played a cricket game for 30 years. I love cricket, as you know. You I adore love- it, but I just haven't played it for a long time. So it will either be a triumph or a, an absolute hilarious disaster. We look but, um, forward to finding out which. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's pretty much. I haven't really been doing doing very much, but I'm getting on with the book, which is going very well. Thank you for asking. Uh, suddenly made a breakthrough on that. Oh, so good, good. good. Mm. Well, I am always always interested to hear how the book is going. Yeah. So that's good. Well done. So let's motor on, and uh, maybe a couple of pieces of feedback, and then we'll we'll talk about the interview. Okay. Well, look. Um. So, um, James, James, who was the person who was bored in the church service, who entered. Who, who wrote the worship song, I should say, entered it into oh, right, chat yes. GPT. He wrote in and said, Hi, Joe and Nick. I thought the musical version of the Chiff Chaff hymn was utterly brilliant and, like others, can't stop humming it to myself as uh, as I go about my day. He says, I'm not going to pretend I didn't pick Chiff Chaff for the original lyric as it has slightly funny name and, if we're honest, not a very good song. He says, but on reflection, surely it is a melody of hope and grace. As you know, the Chiff Chaff is one of our first migrants to return back in spring, often heard before being seen, and that certainly speaks to me of hope. And sure, it's no black cap or nightingale in the singing department, but isn't that most of us most of the time? To me, it's a song that speaks of an unhurried, cheerful persistence, and I'll happily take that as a metaphor for kingdom living. I hope that was sufficiently pithy. Best wishes, James. Well, it was not only pithy, it was rather marvellous. I thought, yeah. exactly, you're so right, yeah. you are so right. Yes. And actually, it's true, nothing lifts the heart more than hearing the first Chiff Chaff of Spring. The first Chiff Chaff of the Spring is just wonderful. Thank you again, James. Uh, the Chiff Chaff song, the song that goes on giving, really. Um <laughs> Dear Phil wrote in, he says, Hi, Joanette. Your discussion about tongues in church brought to mind the baptism slash christening of one of our children, which took place when our church was at its most charismatic. He says, We'd invited our families and various other relatives to the service, few of whom went to church at all, let alone to one like ours. And I sat through the time of sung worship in fear and trepidation of what might occur. And yet, praise be, the worship time came to a close with nothing more troublesome than the over-repetition of some choruses i breathed a huge sigh of relief and then 
a heartbeat later, some, and he's put in brackets, lots of bongos, <laughs> decided that what the service and non-church-going visitors really needed was a load of gibberish that would make absolutely no sense to anyone. He says, that's not my judgment on tongues in general, just in this particular moment. He says, I sat there, head in hands, dreading to think of how this was being received by all our guests in the rows behind me. Paul was spot on. Uh, from Corinthians. If anyone speaks in tongues and inquiries or unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? Uh, actual verse. Uh, he says, the one saving grace in all this that is that everyone was terribly British. Nobody mentioned it at <laughs> all. And we just all pretended that it had never happened with many thanks and best wishes, Phil. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what? I found out the official term. I don't know if I mentioned this mm. when we were discussing t- Tongues in church, as it were. Were. Um, were, Mrs. As Phil said. Yes, uh, he did. <laughs> I edited that out. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I discovered that, you know, that glossolalia. Yes. Glossolalia is the name for speaking in sort of an unknown tongue. Oh, right. Apparently, xenolalia Ooh. is the term for speaking in a language that you don't know, but which is a recognised language. Oh. As in sort of xenophobia. So foreign, foreign tongues, as it were. There you go. Yes, it's interesting because that is a thing, isn't it? I mean, aren't there stories of people who, like, you know, wake up one day or bang themselves on the head and just start speaking French and they've never learnt French? Yeah, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Phil. That's lovely. So, um, well, now, uh, we're going to pick up on last last week's interview that uh, Joe did with Chris Scott. Um, So if you haven't heard that, if you're new to it, it you might want to go and listen to that uh, that interview. Mm. Otherwise, what we're talking about probably won't make much sense. But let's let's see if we can sketch it out in in broad terms. Um, Yeah. Chris has written a book called The Jesus Myth, and it's it's essentially sort of Christian humanism. It's um, demythologizing Jesus, looking at the whole the the supernatural kind of element of Jesus as uh, a, a myth, a kind of which he defines as a, a story about something that never was but always is. Yes. I liked the other quote that was from the beginning, the um, preface in the book, which mm. said, a myth is a story not true on the outside but true on the inside. Yeah. So I guess he would say that things like, well, he's 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 pretty sort of ambivalent about the, re- or agnostic, I suppose, mm. about the resurrection. He doesn't yeah. know really what happened. There's something happened there. Yeah. But a lot of the other stuff, he's... He's pretty much viewed yeah, as yeah, virgin birth and yeah, yeah, ascension, etc., etc. Stories yeah. made up which mm. have a deep truth and call us to a, a, a Christ-like life in a very deep way, but actually didn't happen. Is that is that fair? Do you think that's? I think I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And all I'd say at the front end of our discussion is he is a genuinely lovely, humble man. I say that because. I'm inclined not to listen so much to angry, very confrontational people so much now mm. because they've done so much damage in the church. So he he is a he is a genuinely humble, lovely man, and he wasn't at all saying I've got all the answers or anything. I think he's just no, saying sure. I'm throwing this out because this seems to resonate and make sense to me, and that that's the right spirit with which to do it. I think so. Give it to me, Nick Page, because I've I've sat with him and I've talked with him, and I know you're 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 you were feeling uncomfortable. I could feel you squirming when he was speaking at times. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not quite uh, true, true. But I, I mean, let's start with what I what what you like about yeah. it, or what really yeah. resonates. And I've both read the book and and listened to the interview. Yeah. And I think the idea of myth is very powerful 
and I've written on it myself, you mm, know, yeah. in, in other books. Sure. So I think it's a very important thing. And I particularly loved what he had to say about the personal myth. We all have personal myths about our lives that shape us. Yeah. And and those personal myths can exert a huge power mm. for good or bad on, on our lives. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that was really, mm. really powerful and good. I, I, I hadn't come across... I'd come across Jungian archetypes before... And come across them mm. quite in this interpretation, which is that kind of yeah. idea that this is a something that draws you, uh, something uh, like a like an instinct almost within you that um, that pulls you towards the Christ-like life, that makes you respond to it and yeah. and uh, draws you towards it. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. Um, yeah, I mean that makes sense. I watched a program recently on Matt Willis. You know the the, the bass guitarist. Yeah, from I Busted. saw that. Yeah, it was, very good. It was interesting, yeah. and you saw the myths that he had grown up and that had shaped his life. You know, clearly inaccurate myths, but you totally understood how they formed and 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 sort of served to make him an addict uh, later on in life. Um, once the world of alcohol and drugs had opened up to him, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah. And of course, that that for me makes sense of Jesus's call to repentance, you know, that total change of mind, you know, the myths you're living by, the stories you are living by are not right. Listen to this story about who you are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think looked at like that, then something like repentance becomes this incredibly positive thing rather than this sort of, oh, how wormy worm I am. Yes. Look how bad I've been. And I, I reject all that. And now I turn towards the light. It's actually... No, you you don't have to be bound by the past. Yeah, it's it's more liberation, isn't it, than feeling bad about yourself, kind of thing. It's 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 being liberated from those old ways of living, and yeah. I think that is incredibly powerful and important. Um, yeah, yeah. So so I think there's loads to like about about the way he unpacks that and the stuff about Jesus being the right sort of person rather than believing the right sort of things. I I, I loved that. Re- that really was my favourite quote. I think in the whole thing. Uh, yeah, well, you see, now that this is where I start to get questioning. Yeah, uh, and and it's it's a conversation we've had before. You know, the the idea that it's all about right way of living and not what you believe. Yeah, really, but that doesn't make any logical sense because it is about what you believe. It's just that you believe that there's a certain way of living that's right. He did say beliefs are important. Yes, but, yeah. yes, but that's what I mean. The trouble is with a lot of this sort of stuff is that somehow there's a shorthand. What he actually means is sort of creedal dogma dogmatism. dogma about god yeah yes it doesn't matter what you believe about that that's what he's saying yes. as long as you're living the christ-like life yes um i would have more sympathy with that i just think this blanket thing all the time are going you know he said in the interview he said um Mm. said it's about trying to be the christ mm. and live that sort of life not about believing all sorts of things but you know it is about believing. Yeah. Life is all about believing all sorts of things. I mean, yeah. we believe the myths yeah. or whatever about ourselves. So I think it's very important what you believe. That would be that's just a kind of nuanced thing that I think. I, okay, it, so you know, so so the sweeping generalization of belief is what you're picking up because I, yeah, I I didn't take it as that, and he did acknowledge in the interview that it's not just all beliefs that beliefs are, yes. but it's just like saying, look, in order to be in, in order to be a Christian, you must believe he was born of a virgin, he rose on the third day, went to the spirit, sure. or whatever the creedal statements are. I think that's what he's talking about. And saying, because, you know, we've talked about this before, this vampire Christianity, you know, we you just got to believe in the blood of Jesus, that he saved you on the cross and that God punished him for your sin and then you repent. And if you've done your repent, then that's it, you're saved. And I think 
we're responding against that sort of view of, oh, well, if I've done all the right things, said the right prayer, and I say I believe this, regardless of my behaviour, you know, I say I believe it, mm. then that's it. End of story. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, that is a wrong yeah. belief, but you can believe that very strongly. So I think both the book, which is which is a lovely short book. Yes. I mean, that, top marks for that. <laughs> you know, it's really nice. That's good. Um, but I think maybe that there, for me... There's a sort of lack of nuance, yes. That 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 actually makes it seem more extreme. And this is this this is often the case with all of us writers. You know, we overstate our case. Mm. Um, heaven knows, I'm sure I don't. No, you've but, never you know, done that. No, I can't, <laughs> can't believe it, and I would never do it on a podcast either. You have never done it that I can remember. <laughs> but I think, I think it's this kind of all or nothing. It's zero sum game. You've either got to be this yeah. or that. And that's a very dangerous uh, thing. For example, he said, mm. uh, coming on with the belief things, he he said you can believe uh, very very strongly and then act terribly. Talking about the church, mm. and that's true. Mm. We know that's true. Yeah. But you can also believe very strongly and act beautifully. Yes. And so the identification throughout of the church as kind of this one monolithic terrible thing. Is something that I hear a lot, and that I, I think, is not true. You know, I'm not. I'm not here to defend the church. We've had no, this yeah, conversation yeah, sure. in recent episodes. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not here to defend the church against the the terrible stuff it has done, is doing, and you know. But there is beauty there as well. Yeah, there is there's grace a hell of a lot of really good is... Christians around who have done yeah, some yeah. amazingly good stuff right through history. Precisely. Yeah, I agree. I. Su- I suppose, though, where, well, again, I'm not defending it. I just say, I think that what we're seeing is this huge shift. And we've talked about this, this huge cultural shift in the way we think about things and what we know about, you know, our cosmology has changed. Technological revolution has changed the world. Everything has changed the world. And it can sometimes seem like the faithfulness for some parts of the church looks like just doing the same old thing and saying the same old words and believing the same way and that's what he was getting at in that kind of uh the statements about bronze age and you know saying well we're not in the bronze age anymore um so it doesn't make sense to be recounting things that make out we are um and that does that does resonate with me actually i think quite strongly it doesn't it doesn't make sense well i think you have to find new uh metaphors and new language um all the time i don't think you have to necessarily jettison all of what has been previously written because it was written in previous ages i do think again there's this kind of and i'm sure sure because it's not like this but there's this kind of um uh, what's the word you know this belief that somehow we're we're so much better than previous ages and and in many ways we are people say people say you know uh, you know what's so good about the modern world and i would say uh, oh well the dishwasher for one thing and paracetamol for something else you know yeah. like <laughs> yeah. there's lots of good things yeah however having said that we've killed more people in our age yeah. than in all the other ages put together you know by a long yeah. order of magnitude. The Bible still speaks very relevantly to all the things. Anger, hate, war, jealousy, justice. You know, yeah. those themes are never going to leave us all the while we're human beings because 
so I think if you're if you're using Bronze Age or Iron Age as a way of understanding the mindset, that's okay. If you're using it as a pejorative term, saying, "Well, bless them, they didn't know any better," then I'd begin to have some questions. Well, about but that. the yeah, but then press down onto the ethics of the era, you know, and you know, to take a uh, an obvious example, stone. Stone someone if a man lays with a man the way he lays with a woman, you know, those kind of things. Those were the ethics of the day. I don't know how much people Mm. questioned it. I don't know how much voice gay men had then. I suspect not a lot. Um, Those are the ethics. If people were different, you know, from the tribe, you you get rid of them. Um, So, I mean, those ethics are not doable in today's world. They're awful. Um, They are what they are. No, but we have to also accept, I agree, but we also have to accept that in future um, centuries, we'll look back on our time and go, how could they possibly have held those ethics? Yeah, how, how could, could they, they have all driven have their own that? cars? Well, yeah. Why would they have done that? Did they hate the planet? Yeah, no, I agree. Everyone looks stupid and evil to, <laughs> to people after them. I'm not disputing that, but, but what's important in, for you know, the generations in 500 years' time, is they don't keep reciting the creeds that we write now because they make the same mistakes, quite possibly. Well, are they making the same mistakes is the question I would ask there. Because what mistakes are you thinking of? Because everybody responds to the creeds differently. You know, not not everybody who reads out the creeds on a Sunday morning will then go and be a massive hypocrite or sort of oppress somebody or, or, you know... Well, well, for for example, there's nothing really much in our church culture, I think it is changing, that talks about salvation of the planet. There's nothing much that talks about the redemption of all things. There's a lot that talks about personal salvation. We're obsessed with our own personal salvation. I think somehow, whatever happens in the future, and whether it involves creedal statements or something, you know, about the God, the creator of the universe... I don't mm. think that's in any of the creeds at the moment. Um, you know, that there's something that connects us more with nature and the world and the world's salvation so that mission looks like we are a people who are good news, not just to humankind, but to the entire planet. That, that, that church. So I would have thought that actually not in a thousand years time, you know, now the church needs to be wrestling with that and, chucking out a few creeds that might help people perhaps well i mean the creed begins we believe in god the father almighty the maker of all things visible and invisible yeah that's not bad strong start so so, so it doesn't uh, but it, it doesn't sort of yeah, deny that okay i i like i liked his creed <laughs> we believe in god and you know i probably don't want to define it much more than that that's that's a good creed I suppose all I'm saying is that that just because you recite the creed doesn't it doesn't automatically lead on to a set of behaviours, does it? It, 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 it? In itself, it it takes us, as Rowan Williams says, to the edge of mysteries. It doesn't really define a great deal at all. In fact, the creeds. You know? No, sure. Well, like you said, you know, belief isn't the all important thing here. You know how how you live, perhaps is, well, of which belief, as you so rightly said, is a part of. But so, so I think there's there was that that struck me. Uh, if we get onto sort of some of the assumptions about the story, yeah, I would want to challenge those really. I think uh, many years of studying um, 
textual transmission in various mm. forms of the, the Gospels, the way they were written and all this kind of stuff has led me to believe so often things are just repeated without any proof. So there's the there's the idea, for example, that Mark's Gospel was written 30 years after Jesus' um, uh, death and resurrection. Yeah. And uh, in the book, I think he talks about John's Gospel being written, say, 70 years after yeah. that. There's not a shred of proof of that. That is an assumption that's made. There is. I've never found the right. evidence to say that. And in fact, uh, many scholars now are saying, well, hang on a minute. Nobody would have waited 30 years before writing anything down about Jesus. Even, even if Mark's gospel was put together in the 60s, it doesn't mean the material in it. Well, we know the material in it dates from earlier. Obviously, it does. So, so there's not this idea that somehow they waited 30 years and then they suddenly invented lots of stuff about Jesus. I just don't buy that. Um, I believe that in that time between Jesus' life and the Gospels being written, whenever they were written, and I believe they were all written before 70 AD, actually. Do you? But, okay, that's interesting. In and of itself, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to scroll back to my Spurgeon's days here. That was widely held belief. I don't think we even questioned it too much because... So, so that's interesting. Yeah. It's one of these circular things. The more you look into it, the more you see that everybody just refers to somebody else who said it. And basically, one of the arguments is it's because Jesus makes some prophecies about the fall of Jerusalem. Mm. And the fall of Jerusalem was in 70 AD. Mm. But there's not a single book of the New Testament that actually explicitly refers to the fall of Jerusalem. It says it happened. Mm. So there's actually quite a, I think that's quite a strong mm. argument for virtually all of them being earlier than 70 AD. Right. Because nobody ever says, and Jesus said this, and what do you know? It actually happened. Um and in fact, some of Jesus' prophecies aren't correct anyway. <laughs> he says, like, um, you know, they'll run for the hills. Well, if you run for the hills at the fall of Jerusalem, you'll go straight into the Roman troops. That would be a wrong place to run. <laughs> um, you know, it's more like people saying, dare I say it, uh, Brexit is not going to go well. You know, it's like... It's, it's Hail like the prophet. Anyone can, <laughs> anyone can see this coming, you know? Yeah, yeah sure. So... so uh, all, I don't want to get bogged down with it, but all I think that that I that makes you ask questions about what the gospel writers were doing. Yeah, what's the nature of their writing? And I don't think they were writing, you know, archetypal, uh, mythical uh, tracks. I think they were recording testimony, what they saw. Now, whether it's true or not, it's, you're, 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 you know, yeah. it's up to you. And trying to make sense of their experiences. Yes. Of the, of, yes. The, of the early church. You know, that's them trying to write down, what the heck is this love revolution that's taking part? Yeah. And the, the book, one of the books I would recommend on that was very hard going, but if you're interested, it's Richard Borkham's book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And and, and so there's very good, his, his, for example, there's very good historical references in John. We view mm. John as this kind of great thing where he's written the script, and he does, let's be honest, he must be writing some speeches there. I, I think that's mm. true. But there's also historical detail that could only really be known by somebody who'd lived in Jerusalem. So it's, it's, I don't think there's that distance. So I, I question that sort of stuff. Because I've heard that John, being the most theological gospel, was actually John's sort of you know churches reflecting on jesus so that jesus may not have actually said i am the bread of all the i am sayings of john yeah were actually they put on the lips of jesus but actually they were their theological reflections on who jesus was and so they they tell the story of jesus saying i'm the bread of life but 
you know, that might not necessarily have been the case. Yeah, it's possible. And historical writing in those days, um, you know, sometimes his, historians put speeches into the mouths of, of heroes, mm. speeches that they would have made in their view, you know, kind of thing. Sure. It's possible. The problem is there's no proof of that. Without an original thing, you can't prove it one way or the other. Borkin's book is very good, and it, and it argues on the grounds of a wealth of historical detail that John was written by a Jerusalem-based disciple of Jesus, which is why it tells a very different mm. story about Jesus, different aspects. And it, and it focuses hardly anything on the Galilean mission um, and just everything about what happens when Jesus is up in Jerusalem. So all I'm saying about that is I don't think you can sort of dismiss these accounts. I I, yeah. I think they felt they were writing a true story. And um, and I think it was written closer to the time than a lot of other people say. This is my personal view. Okay. Well, I can't argue with you because you're more likely to have researched than I have when the, <laughs> when the Gospels were written. <laughs> but, but I think that leads me on to my sort of main issue with it, which is this. Why is it impossible to have a historic view of Jesus and also to be affected by the Christ myth, as it were. It, wouldn't it be possible to have a yeah. true myth, as it were? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is what Lewis found. He 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 loved myths and fable. And when he mm. became a Christian, he 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 said this is the amazing thing. It's a tr- it's a myth that was true, kind of thing. Now you know it's not a zero sum game. It doesn't have to be either one thing or the other. Yeah. Um, this is its power, I think. Um, my view is this, mm. that actually I, I believe in the gospel accounts. I believe that they reflected reality at the time. Um, I, I agree that, you know, quite what happened to the resurrection, who knows how that that worked. But it's but it was an extreme event that happened and people mm. were dramatically changed by it. I believe the church immediately started reflecting on that. The church, the Christians, the Jesus followers started reflecting and writing and recording stories and telling stories and going around with their testimony. We know that happened. And that is how our faith was formed. Yeah. And of course, it has has such power psychologically, spiritually, Mm. you know, emotionally, all these things. It's not just one thing. That would be where I'm at. I, I think it's too reductive to just say, well, it's got to be one thing or the other. Yeah. I, I I would totally accept that. I mean, and also I accept that you as a historian and with your, you know, your passions, and I, I could see that you would for, would react to it and, and want to bring that to bit. I, I have to say, the longer I go on, the more important it is for me to want to become Christ-like, not to become Christ-like. That would be very arrogant mm. to assume that I'm doing that, uh, which, you know, with varying degrees of failure, I think is fair to say. But but that is my goal. And actually, the historicity and the literalness, if that's the right word, of the Bible is becoming a lot less important to me. I'm, I'm finding like... You know, I'd, I, it, it doesn't matter for me because becoming a fully alive human being it is that St. Irenaeus quote, uh, which I put in some of the, you know, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Oh, that's interesting. When was St. Irenaeus on the scene? Was that sixth century or was it earlier? Uh, no, Irenaeus of Lyon. He's uh, yeah. late second. I oh, think. is he? Right. Well, there you go. Oh, well, there you go. Something around 200, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and he's seeing that there, the glory of God is human being fully alive. And what was happening around Jesus was human beings were becoming 
fully alive, living the way they want to be or living the archetype, the Christ or whatever language you want to use. It, that doesn't bother me particularly. But what was happening was people were being transformed and changed. And I want in on that. And I do see that, the you know, the beliefs I used to hold and the things that seemed important to me then are less important now. Mm. But what is more important for me are, you know, the Relivari journey we did, the practicing the spiritual blessings, the disciplines, the the learning, the learning that the things and what my shadow is up to, and you know, letting go of the ego or the the false self, as Saint Paul might have said, um, in order to live out fully from my Christ who is in me, who Saint Paul would also have said. Um, so. You know, I can't always articulate it very clearly, which is why I'm in awe of authors that are able to articulate it a bit. But that is the most important thing um, for me, which is why I started by saying the thing about Chris Scott, and I'd say exactly the same thing about you, is I'm going to listen to you because you are a genuinely lovely human being. <laughs> and and actually, if you weren't, I would not be inclined to read any of your books because I just think, well, if the messenger has not been transformed by the beliefs they're they're holding on to. So back to the importance of beliefs, in fact, you know, then actually I don't want to copy it in any way. Yes. But if I'm looking at you going, and this is this is something I've noticed time and time again um, in Christian debates about various issues. There's the people who are very angry and very defensive they were so unwinsome you know you just thought well you clearly believe very passionately and strongly in this but you're such you're so angry you do not <laughs> seem like i know i i didn't want you to have to put bongos in i didn't want you don't seem like a human being fully alive yeah. you seem like a very angry person um and i don't want to be like that <laughs> So if believing what you believe, it makes you like that, I'm not in. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. And I think that the goal is, the aim is what Chris talks about, is, yeah. is to, to be drawn towards Christ and, and you know, to, to, to operate in, on those levels. I, mean, I love the bit about kindness at the end. You know, I think that's just lovely. Oh, yeah. Be kind, be kind, be kind. I knew that would hit you. Oh, you know, but he's speaking my language. <laughs> all I'm saying, I suppose, and it's it's a it's a kind of, Warning from myself as well in terms of my writing and and all of us who who can get a bit um, you know passionate about things is is you know this false sort of dichotomy is making statements that yeah. actually probably sure. are too sweeping. Let me give you one more example, which is the the quote that you read to Chris from page thirty eight. Yeah. So do, uh, dogmatic religion is a safe container for fragile souls. It gives structure and meaning to life but effectively insulates the believer from actually having to encounter his or her own unconscious depths, where both the source of neurosis and archetypal experience are to be found. In other words, to believe in Jesus Christ as an historical and supernatural figure prevents the believer from actually having to discover his or her own Christ archetype and live it in the world. Mm. Really? Are you saying that anyone who has believed in Jesus Christ as an historical and supernatural figure has never lived that out? Okay, I can see why you're reacting. You know, now. I don't yeah. think that's what he's saying. Are you are you saying Francis no. of Assisi or or you know uh, Dallas Willard or any? Yeah, you know, sure. They've never done that. I I'm just seeing him as describing. Um, you know, to go back to faith stages, which is where this whole podcast started. Yeah, uh, I see him as describing stage one. 
there or stage two learning rules yeah. learning that learning this who's in who's out you're doing all that stuff but this is where you have to be careful with the words i think but yeah i i can see that you're reacting going hang on you're just saying anyone who believes in it is is i know yeah, many sure. people in my life who have believed in jesus as an historic and supernatural if you want to use that word figure in other words the, the jesus of the gospel yeah absolutely and i know many of them who have been way more christ-like than i can ever believe ever attain yes, to yes yeah yeah um and will carry on being that way so i don't think it's an either or no, this is what sure. i'm saying i yeah, don't okay i think i think to to see the call of christ as a call to wholeness and as a call to a challenge to your own personal myths and all this kind of stuff i think that's great absolutely brilliant mm, yeah to believe in different forms of historicity is absolutely fine you know that's up to you we mm. but but it's equally possible to be an orthodox, dare I say, dogmatic Christian and to live a life of beauty and grace and kindness and hope. And we've talked about this before. Yeah, exactly. And that isn't that annoying because I want everyone to agree with me and have the same <laughs> beliefs as me. Um, but, the, but the sheer weight of evidence is that evangelicals who would have very different views on uh, yeah, everything <laughs> from yeah. me but yeah. can often be a lot kinder and a lot more gracious and a lot more Christ-like than I am. Um, and progressives, a bit more like me. Am I progressive? I don't actually know. I don't even like that. Well, that's but, you know, they thing, can often it? be All real. Let's face it, they can be real. <laughs> oh, we'd done so well. We'd avoided the bongos all episode. So, no, but it's... But it, it's true, though, isn't it? It is, and that should always challenge us. Always challenge us to think, you know, if we think we got it right and everyone else has got it wrong, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> but I mean, what he says certainly about making a a place in our faith for, you know, questions mm. and mm. and different understandings. Yeah. Uh, I think it's so important, you know, really is important. I don't like the ex exclusivity. I don't like people who are sort of tagged and labelled and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. viewed as heretical. I mean, we're all heretics. Yeah. Yes, really. exactly. And we're all orthodox simultaneously. Yes. Well, that sounds like a fine place to finish and to hand over to the real experts, which are our listeners. Indeed. Because I'd, I'd really be interested to know. I, I'm sure we've already had some questions in. Future Joe is saying that we've had a few emails in, but we'd like more. <laughs> you know, these these episodes we record in advance really do my head in. Yeah, they do. But one of the other thing we can all do wherever we're at on this journey of discovering more of ourselves, of faith, of how to be human, um, we can all practice kindness. And I think, you know, a nice place, a good place, a right place to leave all these kind of conversations is, look, what difference is this going to make to me right now? What can I do? Mm. Go and practice kindness, even if it's only little. Don't even have to be a big one. Smiling at people, I quite like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, it depends. If you, we, might have, we might have one of those unfortunate smiles that looks slightly sort of sinister. Then it might not be kind. <laughs> and don't true. smile at them. Okay. If you've got that, don't, don't smile. Yeah, just take that as it's a burden. But Thanks yeah, for that useful clarification. Thank you. Well, you know, as I say, you've got to see both sides. Listen, thank you ever so much for listening. I hope this episode made sense. If uh, if it didn't, listen to the interview, and then maybe it will make more sense. Indeed. Um, and I, I really appreciate Chris. I hope I didn't come across as too ranty or anything, but, you know. No, you were very well behaved. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast. 
Mm. And uh, I think we'll be back with you next week, although I'm so confused. No, we won't. We'll have a gap of two weeks now. There's a gap. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm. We'll have a gap. And then we'll be back. uh, I don't know when. Sometime. Anyway, bye. Bye. Thank you.